You're listening to the ProcureTech Podcast, your weekly show for all that's cooking in the digital procurement space. Yes, we've got the hottest startups, thought leadership and conversation from visionary industry experts and definitely no stiff corporate content. I'm your host, James Meads, procurement pro, digital nomad and ProcureTech fanboy. And now here's this week's show. Yes, and a very warm welcome to a brand new series of the ProcureTech podcast, where twice a week, we're bringing you everything that is fun, innovative, and exciting in the digital procurement space. And because this is the very first episode in this series, let me just give you a quick rundown of how this is going to work. So in the past series, we would typically speak to startup founders, CEOs, CMOs of procurement tech companies. Whereas in this series, we're switching it a little bit and we're going to be talking to industry leaders and influencers in this space to get their thoughts and opinions and projections on everything that they see happening or likely to happen all around digital transformation of procurement. And for this very first episode, uh, I'm bringing on a guest to the show who actually is from the finance community. And we're going to dig into how why procurement and finance often aspiring partners and unnecessarily so. Uh, I think we will both agree. Uh, we were both on a panel recently uh, at a P2P transformation conference in London, where really the talk was about how procurement and finance really are natural allies, but it doesn't always <laughs> transpose to be the case in the business environment that we find ourselves in. So uh, Chris Argent from Generation CFO, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And I didn't realize we were with the first episode, so I better make it good so everyone listens to the second. Yeah, it better be a good one, <laughs> otherwise no one will listen to the next. <laughs> So your background obviously is is in the finance space and you've pivoted from a corporate career into running your own online community of finance professionals. So just let's start off, just give a quick background just to set the scene of you know how you got into this space and who your community comprises of, just so as we can set the scene for the conversation and then we'll we'll dig into uh, to, to, to the the meat on the bone all around, you know, how you're seeing technology and procurement impact the finance space. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for the warm welcome, because as you say, sometimes procurement and finance can be a little bit at odds, but we'll dig into that. Um, Yeah, my journey started out as a finance professional. I was a a sort of FD, financial controller, finance director within small uh, organizations, uh, medium-sized organizations. And there was a key moment in that career where um, I stumbled across a fraud and the fraud was perpetrated um, basically because of poor systems and, and poor technology. So I thought, you know what, I'm part of the problem. I need to switch. I couldn't change mindsets around me at the time. This was a good 15, 20 years ago. So I decided to go into the finance transformation arena um, I was lucky enough to work with some really big players, spending a lot of money in that area at the time, sort of John Lewis, Amazon, Vodafone. And it opened my 
eyes to shared services and um, obviously procurement technology as well, which started to come into that arena. But I ended up focusing purely on finance and in the latter years, BI and, and analytics and advanced analytics, all that good stuff. And I realized that that sort of when I was journeying through the transformation programs that I ran, that there were a lot of people around me who did not get it, who did not understand the power of this technology. They didn't see the future right on the horizon there, which was going to mean more tech-savvy people needed, more data-savvy people needed. We didn't know about ESG and the like, supply chains, you know, back then. But obviously, that's, you know, driven a whole new wave of analytics and data requirements within our industry. And the the result of a lot of people asking me, Chris, we need to learn more about this, was Generation CFO. So I started up a LinkedIn group and here we are some sort of 19 years later, I think it is, where we have uh, a reach of about 100,000 people, all from an accounting and finance point of view. And we get together regularly to talk about, you know, these these transformation problems in the future of uh, our teams. Wow, so that's a pretty big community then. Are they all based in the UK or do you also have, you know, international branches as well? So we're, we're predominantly UK focused, but obviously, you know, online, we're, we're all over the place. We've probably got a third of our audience in the US and, you know, two thirds to a half in Europe and then the rest in Asia. We have physical meetups in the UK only, uh, but we are getting asked all the time to go around the world. I just need to check in with my family whether that's okay at the moment. (laughs) So you've been going a lot longer than I have, obviously, with this podcast and with procurementsoftware.site and, you know, what we're building there. That's a long time to be in this space in terms of the changes that you've no doubt seen in, in how technology has impacted finance transformation. So maybe talk to me a little bit about, and this is, I mean, obviously I'm more focused on the procurement tech, but there is crossover in terms of fintech and AP automation as well. Yeah, absolutely. What have you seen as the main trends then over this time or how has the conversation changed over that period? Yeah, it's that's a big question, but I'll, I'll try and break it down. I think, first of all, there was this acknowledgement that, you know, we could use technology for, for better, um, whether it was procurement transformation or finance transformation. And, and just to let you know, I was on a P2P procure-to-pay transformation within John Lewis, but I was representing a finance community there, even because it was owned by finance. That obviously didn't go into source to pay where procurement would have come in, but I'm very much exposed to, to your world. But I think back then there was an acknowledgement that we could do better. And, you know, it sprung the shared service environment and that was very much driven by these sort of cost per seat, labor arbitrage type conversations. You know, we can save 20% if we move everything to India. But actually, I think that's that's not the case anymore. I think the, there's sort of negligible savings in in that area. What's really happened now is that we need to, you know, understand technology, optimize what we currently do for almost like this greater good for the business. So finance now, and I'm sure procurement are thinking more about business partnering and, and, you know, solving business problems. And it's not just sort of a siloed approach. And um, also with things coming down the track, like ESG, we need to start asking who's responsible for that 
And, you know, the CFO feels responsible for managing a lot of the business risk. So they're being asked to look at it, but they're also being asked to maybe change some of their approaches towards supply chain and ESG and environmental social reporting because, you know, they are the reporters of business information at the end of the day. So there's there's a lot of crossover happening. And I also think from a technology point of view today, particularly, you know, when we try to accelerate processes, we're trying to accelerate it end to end. So we can't ignore procurement and procurement can't ignore finance because, you know, you're buying the stuff and we're paying for it. Yeah, 100%. And I'll come on to ESG a little bit later. I did want to dive into that as as part of the wider trends of, you know, how can technology be the driver in ele- elevating procurement as a profession? And I think ESG or supply chain transparency in general does come into that. But I want to just go back to the point that you mentioned about silos. It's one of the frustrations that I myself, and I know that pretty much 99.8% of every other procurement professional out there will have had the same would have the same issue is that we often struggle to get finance to recognize the wider value that we as a function deliver to the business. And, you know, I understand that, you know, we as procurement have to dance to finance's tune in terms of how you measure the numbers, but there will always be that invisible work that procurement does, you know, beneath, you know, the invisible part of the iceberg in terms of added value that we drive to the business that isn't necessarily obviously visible to the P&L. Do you think technology can play a part in that in terms of, you know, instead of procurement historically maybe blowing their own trumpet about all of the cost avoidance that they've delivered and none of the business recognizing it, do you think technology is having more of a collaboration platform between internal stakeholder, supplier and procurement together through a collaboration platform and a more digitized, centralized project management mechanism can can help to shine a light more on that type of work that takes place? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, you won't be surprised here. That's why I'm here. <laughs> but I do. I think there are three, <laughs> three parts to this, right? So yes, technology is one. You know, technology is going to create the visibility, the transparency in, you know, that, that cost-saving exercise or the tasks that you're performing or, you know, the contract management that you've done or, you know, the consolidation that you're doing, which is probably fairly opaque. And I'm not standing up for finance people here. It's just that, you know, it's it's not clear to other people of the work and the effort and the, and the benefit to the business, right? So I think technology can help, you know, speed up and make more visible, you know, that brilliant work that you're doing. I do think there are two elements, two other elements to this, though, that is uh, equally as important. One, the second one is is people. So people in general, right? People need to be collaborating. Finance and procurement need to be collaborating. And if you don't have a finance business partner to talk to, then you need one. And I think you need to go and ask your CFO or your finance director for that person because it's the finance business partner's responsibility to really represent you from a finance point of view and to be your voice within the finance team. It's, you know, you've got a job to be getting on with. And obviously this only happens in certain size companies, but the the role of the business partner could be, you know, 
part of someone's job. It doesn't have to be a sort of one individual just saying how amazing you guys are or helping you make business decisions or improve your business. But that kind of people, collaboration, business partnering approach is, is critical, I think, to solve the problem. And the third thing that helps... <clears throat> which I'm not sure when it's going to happen again, is, is a pandemic. <laughs> because, boy, didn't that flush out a lot of Probably issues. Probably sooner than you think. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't. I want my holiday. Yeah, it, it's, it, it changed the mindset overnight of, you know, how we view our processes, how we view our roles within the business, you know, what's really important. And I'm sure procurement felt this as much as finance. During the pandemic, all of a sudden, we got a lot of airtime um, within the business, you know, it's no longer about, you know, sales and revenue and growth. It was about survival. And, you know, we really came in to save some of our businesses. So I think, you know, maybe not a pandemic, but the third thing is just this sort of mindset, which I think can help. Yeah. And, and going back to what you said a little bit earlier around ESG, I want to bring that back in now and some of the other points that you just touched on around around talent and, and around having that business partner and and the people factor as well. To what extent do you think technology will be the driver behind, you know, pushing that agenda forward? You know, is part of the problem essentially just because so much of that dialogue and conversation is siloed in people's inboxes that the wider business doesn't, doesn't get wind of what's going on, perhaps? I think, so I'm, you know, I want to say, it's the number one thing, right? Because I think it's that important. I want to say technology is going to change the way we do business. It's going to change the way how we maintain high performance within our teams. I want to say that, yeah? But I'm also, I've worked within these programs and I've worked within change programs and I have to now also say, you know, the people element is as important. But the risk with me sort of saying that is that people then go, oh, well, you know, the technology part isn't as important, but it really is. So I do think that they're equally important, but the the learning journey and the, the time to value, I suppose, on some of this is on the technology side, right? Um, the people are already in place. The people can actually be brought up to speed quite quickly. It's the technology piece. I think that's really going to, you know, elevate the profession. And you, you're saying from a procurement point of view, I'm having exactly the same conversation on the accounting and finance side where Generation Z and even, you know, Generation A, whatever the next one is, they, they don't think of technology in the way we do. It's, it's just there. And it works. It's what they grew up with, isn't it? Especially Generation yeah. Z. They're the first ones that went through their teenage years using Facebook and Instagram and whatever else is out there, right? Exactly. It's, yeah. Hey, so just a quick interlude to let you know about procurementsoftware.site. This is a new website that I recently launched to give you, the listener, a free-to-access intuitive guide to digital procurement technology. You can filter on a multitude of different criteria and pick out a short list of procurement software solutions that are relevant to your business and your needs in less time than it takes to boil an egg. No corporate subscriptions, no complex jargon, and definitely no pay-to-play model. We are a completely transparent, open book, and we really want to get your feedback on 
what we can really do to make this user experience better and constantly improve so as we're providing value to you. Check out procurementsoftware.site. And now let's get right back to this week's podcast. When you talk about people, do you think that it's a a problem in terms of the missing capabilities, resistance to change, or just poor communication from the project team when it comes to rollout of these platforms? Because the the obvious stinker is if you choose a really clunky piece of software that both suppliers and stakeholders hate using, and that does happen. And there's a big famous name that, you know, I think we can all think of that is notoriously not very user-friendly, but you can still get it to be successfully adopted if you have the right change management process, I guess is what you're saying. Yeah, and absolutely. I I think like all of the all of the above, you know, need to be addressed, right? There's I don't think there's any one point of failure on these on these programs. Um I think it would be it'd be silly to say so. Even if the tool is bad, if there's great gains to be had, then you'll, you'll kind of live with it for a while if you believe in the sort of greater good. I think that the, the critical sort of success factors are, yes, you know, select the right tool, but also involve people before you get anywhere near that decision so that they're bought into it. And then the effort, I think, on implementation is not readiness or training at the end of a project. It's 50-50. If all you're doing is kicking something off and creating a bit of a town hall buzz, and then three months later, six months later, coming back and say, right, we've arrived, then you've already, you know, lost the momentum. I think you need to be creating a community of people who are coming together around these transformations, these changes, and making tiny change, incremental change. You know, one of the things that I firmly believe in having done this a very long time is the sort of Kaizen approaches and the, the tiny changes and continuous improvement kind of methodology. That I know that consultants don't work in that way, but I think people on the ground within companies who are trying to adopt this technology need to be kind of improving every day. And they become their own internal consultants or their internal entrepreneurs, as they call them, rather than entrepreneurs. Um, so I think it's it's you know all the above is is relevant. You you've, you've mentioned quite a few things that are going to be the the success or the failure of a of a project. And I love that term entrepreneur because you know I rant often that we don't have enough visionaries in procurement and we have too many technocrats. And I do think that is hamstring in our profession. I wanted to go back to the community that you run and especially when you said about your audience being, you know, predominantly UK and Western Europe based, but you've also got a, a sizable portion in 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 the US or in North America as well. Do you see much difference geographically in terms of maturity of digitization or is it more based on on company size or industry sector? Are, are there any specific patterns that you're seeing? Yeah, I think it, it, there is a regional difference for sure. Um, I think, <laughs> you know, I, I've almost started in the wrong place. <laughs> the UK, the UK is very traditional, <laughs> steeped in professional history. 
you know, very much, you know, that there, there are sort of systems that, that we are very happy to lean on. And, you know, procurement is probably quite a new profession compared to accounting, right? That's been going 200 odd years. Yeah. So oh, absolutely. You know, so we've got 200 years of history that we're trying to change, 200 years of a mindset that we're trying to change. So in, in the UK, it's, it's a sort of, it's a conservative way of approaching these things. Also, and from an accounting point of view, it's a fairly controlled and ordered way of doing your work. So that's a, that's a perfect storm when it comes to making change really hard. In comparison to where? To continental Europe or to the US, North America? Or? In comparison to the US, this is the biggest, you know, sort of spectrum, because I think Europe's somewhere in between. It's more of a sort of committee based, but they are quicker to move I, I see right um, but you the US is very much like let's do this let's make a change let's you know shorter decision cycles on buying some of this technology um, there are a lot of people who are still trying to work it out and there are a lot of accounting controllers who are very happy in their in their sort of you know their roles but there's also there's equally I think a, a, a real movement around people who are you know, loving the technology and, you know, understanding that there is a bigger opportunity there. And uh, maybe it's just because of the number of people in the US who aren't necessarily, you know, qualified in, in those senior positions. So there's more of a voice. And, you know, they're, they're democratizing a lot of the conversation. They're just saying, like, here it is, let's get on with it. You know, they're using social media and channels. They want to be seen um, to get their message out there. There's a lot less of that going on in the in the EU and very much the UK. And, and in a traditional profession like accountancy, you know, the thought of sort of having a social media savvy CFO in the US, they're <laughs> called rock star CFOs, right? They, they're called out as these amazing people. In the UK, you know, the board might want to sack them, you know, yeah. for, for misconduct. You know? well, especially so if I, they're a rock star, you wouldn't want, you wouldn't want them coming into work on, on Coke and after two bottles of whiskey, would you? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, if Elon Musk can do it, you know, why not? Um, <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Or was that was just um, that was just that was on a podcast actually smoking weed on a podcast. It was uh, actually it was some Joe Rogan. I've, I've wasn't only it? got yeah. cans of coke on this. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting what you're saying about that though, because I, I I've spoken to quite a, and and I know personally quite a lot of founders from the from the German speaking countries that have procurement tech startups, and they're all very keen to attack the U.S. market and to a lesser extent the U.K. because they say it's. It, you know, German German business culture is super conservative in a lot of ways as well. So it's interesting that you're saying the same about the UK. Is uh, certainly from an accounting perspective, that's uh, that's a great insight. So, final question, Chris: um, If anyone would like to learn more about what you're up to with Generation CFO, um, what's the best place that they can get hold of you? And who is obviously finance professionals, but who is your target audience there? Yeah, so. I, I'm very much uh, a LinkedIn junkie. I, I kind of lean on that, um, do a little bit of YouTube, but but nothing nothing much. Um, so you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Generation CFO is the the website if you're interested in that. You know, we do look at sort of P2P and S2P, and we do have this conversation the other way around. Um, and we have had procurement people come to, to our events and sort of say, you know what, it's really interesting hearing the other side of the coin. 
and being in the minority. So rather than hearing, you know, that echo chamber and just navel gazing, you are actually sort of trying to understand other people's point of views properly. So I think that's, that's, um, you know, that's where you'll, you'll find us. And I, I personally, uh, you know, away from Gen CFO talk a lot about continuous improvement and, you know, the sort of agile mindset as well as via link, via, um, Gen CFO looking at analytics and automation and all that sort of good stuff. I love that. Get out of your echo chamber is the best advice you can have. <laughs> I, I learned so much by going to by by going to P2P transformation where, where we where we met in June. Just just being able to network with the finance community and and learn a little bit more about their challenges. Yeah, definitely recommend it to anyone out there. Chris, thank you very much. That's been so insightful in terms of understanding where you know the other the other side of the table is sometimes coming from and some of their challenges and uh, and quirks so thank you very much for joining me and yeah good luck with your already very large and uh, and mature community and uh, yeah best wishes stay in touch thanks james pleasure Okay, that was Chris from Generation CFO. Uh, Links to all of his details are in the show notes. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back again uh, on Thursday, where we'll be bringing you our second in the series. Until then, take care. Bye for now, wherever you are, and see you soon. 